and trains, and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. We're getting ready to have a live spectrum. What we were trying to say, you got to walk home. Walk home. Walk home. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. To reach Devin Wade with a question or comment, follow him on Twitter at Wade's Be a part of the group on Facebook by joining the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group or liking the page. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast, episode 14. And in this episode, going to have a guy who's been on the show a number of times before, former NFL linebacker Eddie Robinson. He'll be in the building. We'll talk some NFL football and some free agency. He is in the building. We'll talk some free agency and uh, some, some some winter football. And, or actually, like, your spring football with all the things that have happened since the Super Bowl. It seems like almost like, man, it just doesn't stop. But, uh, we, hey, we love football, so we'll talk plenty of NFL football. In addition to that, we'll have a conversation with M.K. Bauer of the Sports Exchange. We'll talk a lot of MLB, Major League Baseball. We'll talk some World Baseball Classic and get his thoughts on a number of things as well. I want to remind you guys, tune in, SoundCloud, and iTunes. Uh, All those are vehicles for the podcast. And we encourage you guys to share the show with your friends and family and give us plenty of feedback. And the way to do that is by tweeting me at Wade's Word, W-A-D-E-S-W-O-R-D. And, of course, you can find me on Facebook, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group want to bring in eddie robinson and of course wow i hadn't had a chance to visit with you and i think it was during the playoffs right yeah it was pre-super bowl well right before the super bowl then of course we we did the uh show over the super bowl weekend so that that was the last time so we it it hasn't been since the the whole you know tom brady comeback and the demise of the falcons which i thoroughly enjoyed watching that i must admit really as a a saints fan as well i mean but yeah but uh, it's like seeing the little kid across the street that you don't like and he just get you know he get dunked on again you just laugh all over again you know seemed to me that as a former NFL player that you would absolutely hate the Patriots. Yeah, it's a true team, and everybody on that team is expendable at any given time, even more so than every other team in the NFL. We know that in the NFL you're expendable at any given time, but in New England you can be balling out, and you unless you're Tom Brady, you can get dumped in, in unceremoniously. Well, I, I think every team is like that. They just may be a little bit more obvious with it. But I, I think, although I'm not a Patriots fan. I mean, they're have worse. To, I mean, from to, Richard yeah. Seymour to Ty Law to, right. to I mean, You have guys that guys. were all pro guys in the middle of their career and their prime and that still got traded because the team needed something different. So, like, you know, just like with the cornerback. Uh, what's the cornerback they're talking about trade now? Uh, Butler, Malcolm Butler. Butler right. who, who I thought the Saints would get a hold of. They were talking about that. But it's, it's like, hey, you know what? Butler, you're a good player, man. You won the Super Bowl for us. You, you made the Pro Bowl. But the team says that we need this and we got excess of what you play. So, I mean, I can appreciate that as a player. I mean, as, as a former player. But, you know, while you're a player, you may not like it, but this is part of the game. I mean, and it, and it, it was happening when I was playing too. So, but, well, Okay, but what about the part where you guys can't speak your mind? You have to be these robots that total party line. Almost, a, it's, it's a communist 
regime there. I mean, well, it's, it's put it like this. You're on the podcast, right? So that yeah. means you can say what you want. Right. But everybody, the, the guys with a nine to five radio job, you can only say so much. All right. Let's, so, yeah, okay. I mean, it's just but the you way, can't say anything it's, it's there. Just, it's just the way the world works. It's, it's like you you when, when the people are writing the check and the bigger the checks, the less you can say. That's how it works. So when you're getting a seven, eight, nine million dollar check, you can't say too much. I, I still say. You always get the money back and go play for the Y, you know? But I'm just saying, I still say, Chad Johnson, if he would have been allowed to talk a little bit of noise and be himself, he could have contributed to that team. But Randy Moss, Randy Moss was productive and right. when the year right. they went undefeated and lost in the in the championship Super right. Bowl. So I mean, you got to think, you know, you can you can be a your individual, but at the same time, it's always a team first. So from a as a as a team guy, I appreciate the aspect of the team is in front of everybody else. That that's just how it has to work. The only people that don't get fired is like you said, Tom Brady. But at some point, they'll fire or trade him, and at the same time, the owner. Everybody else is expendable. That, that's just the way it has to go. Well, speaking of the Patriots, they make a, a trade with your team, the New Orleans Saints. Although, you, obviously, you never played for the Saints. That's your team. Yeah, I'm, I'm a season ticket holder, and I just paid my money yesterday, so it's my team. You correct. <laughs> so I, got, I, I have some stake in that. <laughs> what do you think of, of the trade with the Patriots sending uh, Brandon Cook to New England for – for what? What did they get? Third and a, third, they, a they first swapped, and a third, right? They swapped third and fourth round picks, and then we also got a first round pick, which I think is the thirty second. Thirty second. So it's, it's low first, high second, depending on how you want to look at it. But for some reason, I don't know the details. I'm not in the rocker room, but the whole Brandon Cook, Sean Payton thing didn't really work out. And he's but, a talent. He's a talented yeah, guy. Yeah, he's a talent. But what happens with us? And I've been watching Drew Brees for some years now. You have a short quarterback. He does not do well with short wide receivers because why? All of his passes sell high. Mm -hmm. So the Jimmy Grahams, the tall guys, the Coastons, they do great in our offense. But we didn't need a short guy. I didn't like it when they drafted a guy. Now, is he a great player? He's a great player, Pro Bowl player, all of that. He's going to have a lot of success with Tom Brady because Tom Brady's an accurate quarterback who relies on route running. And he's a tall guy, so he can throw to a short wide receiver. Mm -hmm. Every pass you look at, Look at the ones that's going to Brandon Cooks. Unless it was a true deep ball where he had to run underneath it, the curls and the ends and all that, they were always over his head. Why? Because you got a short quarterback. Everything comes out at a tall <laughs> angle. So it's just he didn't fit for what we were doing. I'm not talking about personality. I'm just talking about the the type of quarterback we had and the type of receiver he was. He just wasn't going to be as productive as he will be with the Patriots. So for the Patriots, you say, okay, who, what could you have picked with that 30-second pick? Maybe you get a good player, maybe you a don't. A good receiver, yeah. Right, maybe he got to take a year to learn. Da, da, da. With Brandon Cooks, you got a plug-and-play guy who's perfect for that offense, and he has two more years under his rookie contract, which means that it doesn't count a lot against your salary cap. The only thing I hate about the Saints trading that, that player is because we had a guy that was under a good salary cap number who was a Pro Bowl player. So when you don't, you usually don't trade those type of guys just because economically it really fits for what you're trying to do, especially when Drew Brees won't take a pay cut, but that's a whole other topic. So. <laughs> what do you want to see the Saints do with their first-round draft pick? Oh, we defense. You got to go all-in defense. Uh, I mean, you got to – to me, you still got to replace Sproles because that offense always works good when you got that third-down specialist guy – one-on-one. -on -one. Like you can't have Ingram in there on third down. That's just not his forte. You need that guy that can just come in and be a difference maker on third and three, third and four, because you have an accurate quarterback. And Sproles was so good at getting that third and three, getting that quick conversion. So 
you get a guy like that who you could probably find fourth, fifth round, and after that, you just have to you have to play better defense. So I want to ask you about this, Eddie Robinson, uh, of course, former NFL linebacker, hanging out inside the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast, a familiar voice to you guys by now. Uh, if you've listened to all thirteen episodes prior to this one, you know I want to ask you about the dynamic of playing for a team. Obviously, you uh, you live in Houston. You played in Houston, Tennessee, Jacksonville, Buffalo. Never played for the Saints. That's your hometown, right. though. So, is it easier to root for a team that you didn't play for? Would you you think you have? Would you would you would not be as big of a fan of the Saints had you played for the Saints? Like I still root for the Titans, uh, just because I play there. I mean, I I like Jacksonville. I only played there two years, but I, I always you know had good memories and stuff like that. But I think for me, I think every team, every every adult, if you were a football fan as a kid. You, you had that team that you liked. And then New Orleans is just a lot of pride of just being from the city of New Orleans where you're always going to root for the home team. I mean, I, I just – I quasi-root for the Pelicans too, you know, if they ever get it going. but Well, you, know, you got DeMarcus Cousins. Yeah, so but, but I, now, I think if if I had played for a team where the Saints was a rival, then maybe I wouldn't be as, you know, gung-ho about rooting for the Saints. But I was always in the AFC, so I never played for an NFC team so the Saints was never my rival when I was an actual player. And I, we only played them maybe two or three times in my whole career. And so from that standpoint, I never had like a personal, you know, I'm playing the Saints and I hate them, you know, right. on the field. Right. Now, if I had developed that, then it probably have been harder for me to go back and root for them as a player, you know, I mean, as a, as a former player. Right. And, and I know you don't. You look at the Texans. I don't think you really root for the Texans, yeah, because they're, they're, they're not the Oilers. You play for the Oilers. They're not the Oilers. And I'm. I mean, as much as I love living in Houston. You know, I'm gonna be buried in New Orleans. You know, probably at the Saint Rock Cemetery over there. So I mean, I'm not on top of the ground. Yeah, so so on top of the ground. You're right. So I'm still, (laughs) so I'm still from New Orleans. Although I love, I love Houston and and enjoy the city. You are the most anti-New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleanian I've ever met. I say I'm anti-New Orleans. I don't mean anti, but you just are so unlike any other New Orleans person that I've ever come across ever, 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 ever. I mean, you've heard this before, I'm right, sure. Right, right, right. And people, I, people, I'm sure they can't place you. Or you say you're from New Orleans. You're like, oh, you must have moved in high school. Right, uh, right. Yeah, people, I don't think. Yeah. Well, it, it depends when you when you because I've been away so long. So then you know, New Orleans has that own separate dialect. It's kind of like I went to Trinidad for carnival, right? All of the you guys. You have a great life, by the way. Hey, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Hey, you do you do the right things in your twenties and your thirties, and it, it works out good at the end. Well, I'm shot, bro. So, but no, so the guys and what happens, you know, you get the the local guys who are from Trinidad, and it's a lot of people who come from New York. A lot of Trinidadians in New York. So you talking to a guy at the bar? Hey, man, how's it going? All that. So he's talking, you know, regular sounds like he's from Brooklyn. Then a young female comes up, hey, what are you doing there, babe? How you doing? Like, hey, man, how you just turned on that Trinidad accent? He said, man, just come on when it need to. So it's, like, <laughs> so it's, in, it's inside of them, but they just don't right. use it all the time, you know? <laughs> well, I want to ask you, uh, you uh, about the offseason. Obviously, the Patriots have, have made uh, key additions uh, in addition to, to the, the the Cooks trade, uh, Dwayne Allen. Uh, you were bringing Gilmore, from uh, a cornerback from, from Buffalo, uh, Kona Ely is another guy, pass rusher guy. I, and I said this prior to, like, this is n- this was not a good New England team. I think that they capitalized on 
on what was going on around the NFL. I don't think this was a strong NFL season, and I think Bill Belichick looked around and said, well, you know what? We have to get better in a number of areas. I am surprised that they let Martellus Bennett go and you bring in Dwayne Allen. To me, it signifies a change where you're going to go with a more vertical passing game. I don't think that you can count on Gronkowski to be... 16 games. Yeah, I don't I don't think you can no longer... It would not have surprised me had they gotten rid of him during this offseason, other than he's one of those almost golden children right. uh, of New England uh, because of health. But I am surprised by the move. So you add a blocking tight end. Dwayne Allen will give you hardly nothing in the passing game. So it looks like they're going to try to change and and morph into something slightly different uh, it, this uh, upcoming season with some of the moves that they've made to this point. Well, I think if you look at, at Brandon Cooks and what he brings to the table, I mean, this, this guy, he can definitely stretch the field. So he's a deep ball guy. Even though he's not a real tall guy, he can still go and get it from the from the deep ball aspect of it. And, you know, they do a really good job of just running so many combination, quote-unquote, pick routes, but not really, you know, they call it screen. It's a screen route if you're on offense. It's a pick route if you're on mm-hmm. defense. But they do a lot of combination routes like that. So I think he's going to be very effective on from that aspect. And with the two tight end sets, it wouldn't surprise me if they don't draft the tight end. You can get an uh, in-between pass-catching block a little bit tight end in the fourth, fifth, sixth, even at a free agent. You can find a system guy. And I think what makes New England so good and those teams who can find guys that, you know what, you may not be a third-round pick in the NFL, but for the, the, you a six-round pick. But for us, you fit so good in our system that there's a lot of extra value on that. But I, I agree with you. I don't think if, if I'm New England, I'm going into the season expecting Gronkowski to be healthy 16 games you know, and then you get into the playoffs, and then all you have is Allen. He's because the tight end is something that they use in the passing game quite and, a bit. And maybe they won't. Maybe they'll move away from that and go with more, uh, like you said, a more the of a short, vertical quick pass routes and, and the short, quick routes yeah. to the wide receivers, which they're really good at. I mean, that, they, the run after catch is kind of how they win. You know, you get a five yard accurate pass right on the money, and he turns into a twelve yard first down. So. And, and I will. I mean, and I, I purposely don't talk about the Super Bowl because. I just it's unbelievable how Atlanta uh, gave away that was that coaching. Game. That was coaching. Well, I mean, you know, purely, yeah, yeah, purely, you cannot pass the ball on third yeah. and one. Take the field goal. Look, take a knee, run the veer, Don't whatever. Take you the sack. <laughs> and, right. but, but you know, and and I'm not a, I'm not a big Maddie Ice fan. I've never been a fan of this guy because it seems like the bigger the game, the bigger the mistake. And then end of the day, I put that on the quarterback. You're a 10 year veteran MVP type guy. Play. Even if it's a bad play, when when they when they passed it, in your mind you have to know the biggest thing right now is I'm in field goal range. I take a seven step drop. I look if I have to throw it away. An incomplete pass doesn't hurt me. Right. The only thing that hurts me is a sack and you, a holding penalty. Right, and, which you and got you, both. And then you got both. Yeah, but you cannot take the sack. So you, it's just you got to go with your. Yeah, but like you said, it's what happened. Happened. The, but but I just hate how it's like oh. Oh, this is the most remarkable. You know, obviously New England had to make the plays, but you can't make plays if your opponent takes away those opportunities. Well, and Atlanta true. had the opportunity to take away opportunities from New England to make those plays. So, yeah, but you still have to. It's kind of like you know a, a guy that's up there trying to trying to hit hit the fastball, and you got you got the the ace pitching on the mound. If, if he makes, you say why it was an O two count. Why you threw him a strike? But you made a mistake and you threw it. But you still got to give me credit for hitting it over the fence. Right. You know I what I'm saying? So it's yeah. the same way. Although 
Although you can definitely say the Falcons made the mistakes, you still have to give the Patriots credit right. you, and, for and, and capitalizing on two touchdowns, two you know two point conversions, still playing right. defense and stopping them, getting the sack. There's a lot of things that they did well that you can't take away from them. I will give them more credit for that one. I will never give them credit for beating Seattle. That is Pete Carroll's losing and giving away a Super Bowl. But you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's football is one of those things. It's kind of like life is like what should have happened happened because. The Seattle one, yeah, they probably shouldn't have won. The Falcons one, absolutely shouldn't have won it. But the Giants, the dude had the helmet catch. The Giants shouldn't have beat him, and they lost that one. The other one against the Giants, they were the much better team. They were undefeated. So it's like they, well, they the, lost the David, that, the, the David Tyree catch, and I want to say that was on second down, right? right. That wasn't no, on So they yeah, had but, more chances. Yeah, but still, that, yeah. come on, That was man. a remarkable Who, So where's David Tyree now? And nobody knows, right? So it's like. They they probably won two that they shouldn't have. They lost two that they should. So that what should have happened happened. It's like the the I think the most remarkable thing to me more than them winning and losing the Super Bowls is how many times consecutively they've been in the AFC Championship game. Like out of the last well, ten okay, years, has it been know, like okay, seven okay. eight times? That's that's so a big at, time record. So look at your path to get in the AFC Championship game. You essentially have to win one home game because your your division. It's consistently been yeah, the worst division in football. You can't blame me for the, for the teams I, on the schedule. I understand that. Think about the Buffalo Bills. When they went to the Super Bowl for we talked same about issue. this. The same, so the AFC and, East And actually, just they had the Colts in their division. Right. Back, back so they had, they had six just about guaranteed wins. And so they were going to always have the first or second best record in the, in the league. And they're gonna get a home a bye with the first home game, but still got to win that home game. I mean, you know. So. I mean, they got it done, but I right. mean, I think that you start off with a leg up when you're in that division. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's not yeah. like playing in the NFC South, which continues to get better. You talk about Deshaun Jackson going to Tampa now. How big a deal is that? Yeah. Uh, and I do want I want to get to 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 a couple of those yeah, individual. Tampa, Tampa moves. is the team that really worries me. Uh, you know, I said it last. Being year. a Saints fan, I think uh, of course the Falcons and Carolina because they Falcons always, uh, are a non-factor. I think they're done. I'm serious. I don't think they think, they won't you think snip this is gonna up. Carry they're over the done. Next year. They're just, done. Yeah, you yeah. had a lot of turnover in your coaching staff. Right. And you, you're done. And I don't know why they got rid of Brian Cox unless he like blew up on the plane and, and cussed somebody out, but. I don't think you I don't can, know what that was about either. Yeah, but why? I don't see how you can get rid of the defensive coordinator and the line, the defensive end coach. Who I thought the defensive had three, line three, three, played, three or four sacks, played right? exceptional. Yeah, right. now you may have said maybe they had a horrible year and you was already planning on doing it. I don't know. But in the end but of the day, go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, but in the end of the day, it's like, dude, you kick the field goal. You know, my defense more than likely is going to win this game for it. We up by eleven with right. a couple minutes left in the game. <laughs> you know, so it's like you could you could blame the defense as much as you want, but. I think what happens with offensive coordinators, they get caught into we have to score thirty points. It's just the it's the kind of the Buddy yeah. Ryan philosophy. <laughs> we only have to score one more point than the other team. So stop worrying about your stats. Like, hey, we have we averaging twenty eight points a game. I don't care if you average twelve points a game. If we winning, that's all that matters. Which is which is what I always loved about Jeff Fisher. I mean, we never scored a lot of points, but he always knew Hated that. Hated his offense. Yeah, but but the, but how many games did we won? Thirteen games one year, thirteen and that. You know, we so it's like at the end of the day, it was highly effective. I remember we played the Giants one time, and we might have played like. 28 snaps on defense, like the whole team. Like I didn't even – I had to go work out after the game because the <laughs> offense, it was like 
first, second, third down conversion. First, second, third, and two convert. They had like a 15-play drive, a 14-play drive. And so we won by like 10 points, but it's like we really didn't play at all that whole game. So it's just, you know, from a defensive standpoint, if I got to go 40 plays instead of 80 plays, man, I am so fresh and full speed. It's like my production is going to be that much higher. So yeah, I, so we, so you, you have Deshaun Jackson going to Tampa, and there's still a lot of moves to be made. I think in a way – the winner and loser in this offseason has been the Houston Texans. You So you, you're able to unload Brock Osweiler. You hadn't, as of this podcast, you haven't addressed the quarterback position yet. Talk a little bit about their offseason so far. Because, again, yet while you're able to unload him for and, and give away a second-round pick, now, and, and unload that salary, freeing yourself up to add a quarterback. You lose uh, A.J. Boyer on defense, Quentin Dimps, John Simon. So you're losing quality and depth on, on defense, uh, on the number one defense that you have to hang your hat on because well, unless you bring in a Tony Romo. The defense got you to the playoffs. I mean, right. So, and, and they won the division for you. But is Tony Romo the answer? Can he, Can he? I mean, first of all, you got to look at the health aspect of it. And I don't think yeah, with this offensive line, I think that's an issue. And I think that the closer it comes to happening or not happening, uh, I think you've seen the fan base kind of waver. I think some people really, really wanted him. And I think people are being much more reluctant uh, about it. Uh, at least that's my perception here in the city of Houston, uh, that people uh, have a little bit, a well, few more mixed feelings about it. If I'm if I'm O'Brien, I'm I'm nervous because it's like you wanted your first quarterback and those guys didn't work out. Then, you know, we don't know who decided to, to get Oswald. So we don't know what decision, like who said that's our guy and gave him all the money. Right. O'Brien may have been 100% against it. But however it worked out, it didn't work out. You wasn't able to coach him up. He wasn't productive. So you pull the plug on it. So now it's like if you go at Romo, of course, if you win game and you're successful, it's okay. But if you don't win games and it's not successful, now you're on your third quarterback. After now we, it's your job. Yeah, so now it goes back to the head coach. So it's almost like he's in the you got to win this year right now situation. And, and, what, and the, so, here's the killer. Now do you have to win – now you have to almost win, go to the AFC Championship. You you, you, you're almost you can't get to the you can't get to the playoffs and lose in the first the divisional, round. You, well, you have to, to the you have to, round. Yeah, you would have to win a game in the division. I mean, of course, there's a whole lot of other things uh, that that factors into that. But I'm kind of looking over my shoulder if I'm if I'm the head coach because a lot of it's going to come back to you because you're and then you're an offensive guy. You're supposed to be a quarterback guy and stuff like that. So. I don't know. Do you just draft one? And I, if I was him, I probably would have drafted one, which they still might, because at least at that point, I say, "Hey, I got the rookie, so it's going to take me two years to, you know, get it get it all worked out." So, well, and again, you know, I, I think with the Texans and, and being here in, in Houston, I have my hand a little bit more on the pulse uh, than I do in the other cities. I, I think the perception has to to be that you can win the Super Bowl, and I, I think that even with whatever success they had by winning out. An awful division last year, and and no one—I mean, no one gave them a chance. And really, had had Derek Carr not gotten hurt, you may not have given them a chance to win in the opening round. Right. But no one, no one remotely gave them a chance to win in New England. And I just think that that demoralized the fan base here. So I think the perception that you can win it all is is going to be huge. And I think that's where 
uh, you have to make a big splash to sell this team well, to the but public. I, but I think if you look at the average fan in Houston, you say, are we a Super Bowl caliber team? Now, I'm not talking about the guy that has you know the Texans tattooed on his neck who's just, right. I'm gung-ho no matter what they say. But if you look at the a fan who's a good rational thinker, they'll say, nah, we're, we're not there yet. As a Saints fan, I can tell you, we're not there yet. I mean, we're well, hoping to make the, the playoffs, but, that's but, the we're, point. The but we're point not is, a Super Bowl championship team. Right. Now, something could happen, but when I start the season, I'm not expecting us. I'm not buying hotel reservations for the Super Bowl. And, and, but that's the point. The point of it is that you don't have the feeling that they any real football fan Correct. in Houston knows that they can't. So I think you have to – you cannot go in the – so you have to bring in either Jay Cutler. and It really boils down uh, to – Jay Cutler. Ooh. To satisfy your fan base, you have to bring in Tony Romo. I, would, I really believe that. Yeah, I would, I would go with a rookie. I would go with a young guy. And and say, give me a year you, or two and see. But you can't. How long can you? Now you're starting to see JJ Watt accrue injuries, and you, you know how long. You know, and Clowney's not a guy that's traditionally a healthy guy anyway. Right. How long can you stave off making a run? I think you have to make the run this year. I think your division is only getting better. I, you know, you look at Jacksonville taking a couple of guys. Well, they took Boye from the Texans. You look at Quentin Dems going to, to the Colts. So you, you see these guys departing. And how much longer, you know, well, a chef like the Titans? The Titans, you are, you are expecting them to improve. Just they'll the be, quarterback they'll be, is more experienced. So they could have won a division right. this year had Mariota not gotten hurt. I mean, say say they went and setting up for that season finale. They were they were setting up for it. So if if I was the Texans, I would probably get a veteran guy. I would I would go Romo more than Cutler. I, I'm more of a a Romo fan and a Cutler fan. But well, I, I would mean, also, but again, that, that comes would, down to how much you're gonna pay within the top three four rounds. I would draft the guy. Right. I, I'm I'm a double down and draft a guy that's my my give me the the best quarterback you think that can fit our system by round four and then I'm gonna draft that guy and, and maybe he'll because you look at the guys that have been successful you don't have to be a top ten quarterback to be a successful quarterback you need to have the pieces around you to be a successful quarterback that. that's more important or just as important as having pure talent. You but know. have you proven as an organization that you can pick the right guy? No, and obviously yeah, you haven't. haven't no. I mean, you from from Carr, which he never really had a chance. Not that he, you know, he never really, really had a chance. Well, they they started off by going with the franchise quarterback well, you before had, you had yeah, before yeah. you had a franchise team set up. You right, know, it's right. like that first pick. It should have absolutely been offensive lineman, defensive lineman. You just right. you get the cornerstones. You know, it's well, like you, you thought. Like, well, they and I thought that you they thought a house it, with the with the roof instead of the foundation. You know. Well, and I thought during the expansion draft, I thought that they were. They thought that Baselli might give them something. Yeah, something he gave him something, nothing. Right? He gave him <laughs> nothing. So yeah, I want to ask you this. Uh, and again, I, I want to. Time goes on. Goes on. We'll talk more about. The the off season going so on. Want to ask you your basketball guy season ticket holder with the Rockets, right? Yep. Yeah. You feeling better this week about your Rockets because Golden <laughs> State is struggling? Uh, a really just a horrible schedule for them, uh, and, and they're struggling. Do you feel like the Rock? You have a, uh, but again this week the Rockets, Rockets lose they lost to, San, a couple. Yep. to San Antonio. How and you feeling about the 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 Western Conference? I I think right now the Rockets uh what they they just beat the Bulls last night went on a 60-20 run. Right. And so I think right now the Rockets just need to stay in third place. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to catch Golden State. They're not going to drop that much, but you don't want to go to fourth place cuz then you have the potential the second round matchup is against Golden State. I think the Rockets match up good against the Spurs cuz we can outscore them. 
know, we can put up 120 a night. The Spurs can't. Now, Kyle but, Leonard, yeah, they uh, just Kawhi lost Leonard, another day. Yeah. I mean, but that's he's he's not going to shoot that good in a seven game series. But is is he a phenomenal player? All of that potential MVP, you got to give him everything. But the problem is, they don't have another guy. It's like uh, the market. They, yeah, they, they, they may not have another guy. They have a bunch of other guys. Though. Yeah, but the problem is they can't score. I mean, they they don't have enough. The little Patty Low guy. I mean, he, you know, he's like a little leprechaun. He he's not he's not going to consistently hit that three pointer to beat the Rockets. So, but somehow they get it done. Yeah, but in but in the seven game series, I feel good about playing San Antonio as opposed to having to play Golden State unless it's a conference championship game. And then at that point, you know, it's, when, you, when it's the last four teams, it's only going to be good teams. You're not going to get a bad matchup. It's right. just how it is. So, I mean, I think the Rockets, are, they'll have their ups and downs, but I like the moves that they made. I mean, the, the Williams kid, I mean, he can come in and score off the bench, you know. Well, he's been Lou around Williams, a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So six, seven years. Six, seven years, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he, and he's known for just being the gunslinger, coming there, Shoot it. If you miss the first three, I'm going to take you out. If you make it, you keep shooting. It's just in the so they kind of remind, I keep telling everybody, they, they kind of remind me of those championship years, Rockets, from the standpoint, yeah, it's not a keem and it's not a, a post up oriented offense. But no, no one has that. But you have that one guy, which is Harden, who has the green light. If he go 0 for 10, shoot another 10. But everybody else it has, you shoot unless you're not making it. You know what I'm saying? And then we're going to put another guy in who should make it. So we have eight guys who could, go, who could give you 20 points a night. You just got to figure out which one is hot that night, and, and you hope that they're not all off in the same night. <laughs> and so, and, and, but, and but, it happened. But, it has happened. But, you know, I've seen games where they started off two for 20 in the shooting from threes. But you got to think. If we are thirty five percent three point shooting team and we start off two for twenty, it's no way we miss the next twenty. So you got to keep shooting them. It's like you yeah, got well, to I mean, double down and go all in. Right, well, so we saw that with the Knicks. What, what and the, worries and the, me about the Rockets is when we have that fifteen point lead and we sh- and we start off fifteen for twenty on the three. So then you're like, it's no way we gonna keep this up. <laughs> and then what happens is tie game because we didn't win. You know, zero for ten and we keep shooting three. Right, so right. it's it's kind of fun to it's watch. It's almost like the run and shoot it's of basketball, shoot, man. It's like it's just, but it's fun to watch. It's and it's entertaining. And I think uh, if we can get to like a Golden State. Houston Conference Finals. I think that'll be such an entertaining. It's gonna be like yeah, the, be the over under that game is gonna be two fifty. That like, would be it, the best be four games to one twenty five. You know, what I'm saying? that'd be the best four games in the playoffs. <laughs> oh yeah, it could be like a one forty <laughs> to one fifty because it's just if if them two teams get hot, it's, it's just gonna be a lot. But of I'm fun, saying so. you didn't hear what I said. The best four games of the playoffs. Why you say that? Because they'll still get swept. <laughs> nah, they won't get swept. They won't get swept by Golden State. So the, the, the most entertaining four game series nah, it's no in way. the history. See, of the NBA. But we all know that you're an anti-rocket. No, I'm a native Houstonian guy. Yeah, but, you, but you, I don't. You're yeah, rocket. You're not a believer yet. I, nah, you're not I'm, a believer. Yeah, I'm not. I, I don't know what. Maybe I'm just lost in nostalgia. What, what is it gonna take? What is it gonna take? I mean, I, old you know, school, I have done a post-up basketball with the headband, high if, socks. If, that's not coming back, man. <laughs> the Rockets need to play their home games at Hafan's Pavilion. Right, that's not no, happening, no. man. I, you know what it is? I, you know, I have spent so much energy. In not liking how what James Harden did for this team, really? and I've, I've not. But before this year, and I've man, done I like a, James Harden from day one, from, but, the, but, from the first day of the trade, I yeah, like man, he's but, our guy. <laughs> but uh, you know, I didn't. I never liked Dwight Howard. Yeah, I, 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 I thought, on that now. That, right, that was that was painful watching that for the last couple of years. Right, and, and I thought that I, I just did not think that Harden was capable of being the guy that he's become. So what you think I, now? I, I, I'm I'm convinced that he is. They have a formula. 
They really do. And, and I think that it's a, I don't want to say gimmicky, but it's almost like if you want to say Golden State is gimmicky, it's it's a gimmicky way right. to, to win the championship. I think that Golden State is a better version of what the Rockets do. But the idea that you have four guys on the court at any given time that can, that can hit the three-pointer right. is, uh, is formidable. Uh, again, it's a departure. And, right. you know, and I did because, again, you grow up watching the game uh, a certain way and, and uh, inside out game. Uh, but it was always I mean, to, to have it the other way, the the only thing that bothers me is the softness of what the NBA is. Well, that's, that's just what it is. I mean, the, what, what happened was the and one when they started putting the and one videos out. Kids started spending more time dribbling and less time passing and working on fundamentals. It's, it's, it's like. <laughs> You get the oohs and ahs at the high school games and the AAU games is when you put them on skates. Ha-ha, ha-ha, mm, through the legs. Yeah, yeah. It's not even if they make the shot. It's the ooh and ah because you faked them out. But, dude, you didn't even get any closer to the goal. You're 15 <laughs> feet away. Right. Like, you didn't even get past them yet. <laughs> so, what's the, what you oohing and ahing for? But that's just that. The and one tapes killed basketball. I'm well, telling I you, mean, that, I think Jordan era uh, killed it. And then you started to see it, it, it's kind of a waste for me to see a guy – like even I think it started with like Dirk and and, and maybe to a small oh, the, the extent 60, the, the six eleven three point shooter. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you started a little bit with Sam Perkins and Detlef Shrimp. You know, yeah. and you had a couple guys of that era, the guys in in uh, Indiana that that were long guys that shot from the perimeter. But it's a waste about a guy when you have a guy like that that can't just post up and dominate. Right, I, and you yeah you think back to to a guy like Barkley. And what he was able to do in a low post, and, and let alone dream. And, and again, maybe a part of my my love affair with nostalgia is that you know that style of basketball provided me my fondest memories. But I understand what they're doing now, and I think that they have a legitimate plan. I, we'll have to see if it's enough to get past Golden State. Obviously, I don't think it is, especially right. with a healthy Kevin Durant. Uh, but we, they'll they'll swing and they'll take their shots. They yeah, will you, shoot the basketball. But you got a you got a slumping step, Curry. So I mean that that gives them a chance. I, I think they have a fighter's chance in in the series with Golden State. I think you know a couple games are going to come down to who makes the last shot at the end. But you know compared to you know when we had McHale, which we were we gonna shoot threes a little bit. We now we gonna post up a little. It was confusing. Well, you, you, so and so what I like about well, Tony. See, here's the deal. With that, the philosophy was okay. You just didn't have a guy to do it because I don't think obviously yeah, but, Dwight Howard was never a, a offensive guy. Yeah. guy, right? Right. And then, then if you follow him, then you you, you totally take him yeah, out of yeah, that. Yeah. And slow the whole game. So even if we got into the rhythm, we shooting threes, shooting threes. You follow Dwight Howard. Uh, you hit the brakes on it. So now, I think the thing about D'Antoni is like you said, it's a commitment. We're committed. We owing twenty. For the three-point strike, we shooting another 20 is a commitment where if you look at before— And you built a whole team on that. Well, we started off that way, and, and we weren't hitting the three. Then you go back, okay, let's give it into the post, and let's work something else. Nah, you committed. That's what we are. We're we going to lose some games because we're mm-hmm. just going to shoot 10% from the three-point line. Now, at that point, you got to pick up defense from other things. But when, you know what I like about the beard is, you know, unlike Tracy McGrady when he got towards the end, who was just a pure— I'm shooting a jumper. I'm not driving. I'm trying not to get hurt. Whatever was in his mindset, he just was a jump shooter. The beard shoots 15, 20 free throws a night because he doesn't mind going to the basket repeatedly. He attacks mm-hmm. the basket. And he can get past anybody one-on-one. 
And, and the so, way he goes towards the basket is a lot different from a guy like a McGrady who had to go flying into the right, lane. Right, he's under control. Right, yeah, I mean, yeah. he'll go, he'll yeah. go slow motion with the Euro step like, uh, uh-huh. uh, and, he and can then foul still, and not take and the still, punishment. And, yeah, and, and sometimes he totally is just, he he plays the, I'm trying to get fouled. I'm not even really trying to make the shot. It's just the illusion of the foul. So I, mean, I think he's a smart guy where he's really, he's kind of embraced the whole methodology of how the of referees call the basketball game now. I mean, because I, I used to hate it when when um, Kobe Bryant would do it. Mm-hmm. You know, when they put the hands out and then he goes up underneath and he gets the three points, <laughs> to get the three free throws. But, I mean, he does that at least, especially if it's a young player that's guarding, guarding him, he does it at least three or four times a game. So, I mean, I, I like it. it. It's fun to watch. You know, is it, a, is it a championship team? I don't know, but I think – you know, with with the things that Golden State was able to do, you have to say, hey, maybe this There's is just the, it's the time for it. Yeah. yeah. Now I want to ask you. Uh, we talked about this on KTSU Sports Talk here in Houston this morning. Guys sitting out, healthy guys sitting out. Now LeBron is is here in Houston tomorrow. May not play uh, tonight. I, I hope, I hope tonight. he let me know tonight so I know if I'm going or not. I mean, come on, <laughs> give me a clue. Well, tonight <laughs> you have a game in which Kawhi Leonard's not playing. Uh, for San Antonio, Golden State is is benching Iguodala, Draymond Green, Klay Thompson, and Steph Curry. So, so you're having like a B team game during prime time. You have to believe. Okay, here's my philosophy. What I think will happen it really kind of is incongruent with what I, I I think should happen. I don't think that. Okay, if you're a fan of Golden State, you don't care about a matchup in March with San Antonio. Correct. So if it helps me to sit my guy then I'll sit my guys. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you need to do to win the championship. And it all started with San Antonio with a much older team with oh, Mono Ginobili. They wouldn't and, make and, the trip. They would just right. stay at home. <laughs> and, and and you applaud that because he took he showed where the regular season didn't matter. They got the big picture. And, and so right. the league is not happy about that. Fans are not ups, are upset about it because these teams market these these packages yep. based on you the get a chance game. to see. You'll put two crappy games in a like a mini a mini you know season ticket package uh with you'll put Cleveland with you know some two or three horrible teams right. that nobody wants to see and and so you know they exploit the 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 players and then when the players don't play everybody's mad well hey I think that if you pay for a ticket to a pro game you get who you get all of those guys are paid to play. Now, conversely, now here's where the conflict internally is with me. Young guys don't need to sit down all the time. You're essentially playing 35 intense minutes a night. Right. And I'm not talking about uh, in game time. I'm talking about in real time. <laughs> you know, like uh, an yeah, uh, NBA every, game is two hours long, right? An NBA game is essentially a little bit over two hours. 15 minutes of those are halftime. And you're not going to play 48 minutes on on the clock, so you you really are vigorously competing for about 35, 40 minutes a night. I don't think the guys need all that that rest, but I will say I will support my team in sitting somebody if you think that you're making that move to win a championship to, to help us in the long run. What are your thoughts on that? Because again, you're a season ticket holder and you've been a, a competitor. How, what are your thoughts? Well, I. I agree with you because what happens is you have to get more competitiveness in 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 the league, and I mean, the the reason Golden State are sitting players is because they have a, a eight game lead. So they're saying even if we lose a game or two, we're still gonna get the number one seed. So once you get the number one seed, then you're good. But what happens with this is because you know with with football the same things happen, the same thing can happen because 
you know, the Patriots may have the first round by locked up. So, hey, Brady, you're going to play the first quarter of the last two games and just to keep your timing up, but you're not going to go the whole game. But what happens is it's more games than basketball. So instead of that being like one or two games, basketball may be like the last 10 or 20 games. Hey, we got we got 20 games left with an eight-game lead. You know, we can lose a couple. As long as San Antonio doesn't catch us, we're okay. We're going to still get the number one seed. That That's all you need. So I think from a coach standpoint, you have to manage your team, and that's the absolute best way to do it. All but right. I, I, I do agree – like the NFL fine pop, I mean the NBA fine pop of it. I don't think they should have. I think I, they should have because the the guy has to make the. Unless you're injured, you have to make the trip. Because this is, I have really good seats for the Rockets. Okay, so you have fans who want to come and just see their guy warm up. So if if my son is a LeBron fan and he loves LeBron, even if LeBron's not playing, warm up. You know what I'm saying? Let me let me <laughs> let me get a picture. Like you know, I want to see you at least warm up and see you with the shoes on and everything. Hey man, LeBron didn't play. I saw him warm up though. You know, so but you can't, but I, I just he, LeBron can't again. stay in Cleveland and not even get off. I want to see him on the bench. I want hey, that's LeBron. I mean, I was I, I was a block away from him. You know, he didn't play, but I was a block away. So you gotta come to the game. I totally understand what you're not playing. In the perfect scenario. The guys would come out, they would start, play the first five, six minutes, come out the game, and then they're done. You know what I'm saying? That would be a perfect scenario, but I don't think the league can get into mandating how much a team right. or a player plays because then they'll just say, all right, well, he's injured. He has a soft tissue injury, and that's why he can't play. I know? just think that I think that the league should stay out of it. I think that they should do some behind-the-scenes encouragement. It'll take care of itself. It, yeah, it will because, because what happens when you have more parity in the league and, and instead of – say, if the, say for example, if I think right now one, two, and three, they all are separated in the West. It's like mm-hmm. maybe five games between each slot. But four, five, and six – it's not even a half a game between them. So those guys are not sitting anybody because you don't, you can't afford to. So if the top three teams only had like a game or two in between them where you can go, you can lose three games and go from one to four, oh, they would be playing every night. So it's just the, the parity in the league will catch up. It won't always be where Golden State has an eight-game lead with 20 games to go. So it's just in these rare situations, it's starting to happen. But whenever you can rest that guy and, and, and get him ready for the playoffs, like, like Nene, for example, he's a veteran guy. You know, you can tell right now that they're always watching his minutes. You know, Capella, you play as long as you want to. You're a young right. guy. You, you get, you know, I don't care. You play overtime. You know, we losing by 20. Get you some reps and you need to practice. But Nene is like, hey, we're going to save you. If it's a game and we down by 20, hey, Nene, you are, you good. We we can't right. come back. You know, it's just, it's just common sense, you know. And finally, before we let you get out of here, the biggest battle that happening anywhere is uh, Remy Ma versus Nicki Minaj. I mean, now, <laughs> Nick, now just keep going on and on. So, so yeah, I, I saw you tweeted about that like last yes, week. Yes, I did. <laughs> I, I have you heard Sheetha? I mean, and, and again, I am not. A, and if you listen to episode thirteen of the podcast, I am not a rap person. Right. But I'm just saying that was so out of line, over the top. Oh my gosh. That you know, you just had to pay attention to so that. Stop messing with me. That's what it means. It's like, just, you know, what I'm saying? so did you hear Nikki's non-response response? Not in here. The non-response well, response. Yeah, well, so like we, said, we had to plug that up after the after the podcast. You, you you can tweet about that, but again, that that is the, what has captivated my attention. I, I can talk politics, but I'll stay away from that. Um, but yeah, so, I, so you saying it's bigger than it's bigger than Cool Mo D and and uh, it's harsher. It's Cool, cool Mo D. LL Cool J, yes, I mean, they, they went back harsher. and forth now. So. Yeah, but this is this is this is different. I mean, you talking Remy about Ma two, did two, an eight 
Tupac, your beard. And Tupac and Biggie, like, uh, but, I mean, but man, you know what? Tupac, even Tupac went all the way hard talking about, you know, it, with his yeah, wife yeah, and so, all that. But, yeah. but that's what guys are gonna say. I got your woman. That's. But what Remy Ma said, you need to go. And look, you can find it on YouTube with the lyrics. Right. And so you can pause it and realize what she said, what. And it, yeah, it was it was violent. It was it was a verbal it was, assault. It was, it was meant to hurt. Oh, it was meant to massacre. Well, like they say, a bullet kills you once. Words kills you a thousand <laughs> well, times. She's been dead. <laughs> she's the walking dead. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if her career rebounds. So a lot of people say, nah, this is a blip. It's not, it's not a career ender. Come it, on, man. It's a credibility <laughs> it's ender. It's not a career it, ender. Look, <laughs> you on, go man. back and listen to it. It's a career. Look, you, first of all, you can never, like, now you going hard in the paint at Miley Cyrus looks really, really stupid when you have a <laughs> A real woman come at you and take away all your little street cred. You better be this pink uh, plastic Barbie because you ain't about that yeah, life. You ain't about the and streets. So, no so that from that standpoint, it's a, it really is a career in it, it, it's a career injury. Uh, but she responded with Drake and Lil Wayne. But again, you, she's gonna make the money regardless. Remember, right. my, even the rap style and stuff is is, is passe. But it's just the fact just, that just why the, just the you, she did her research. But you gotta appreciate somebody who does their research. Yeah, that was that was that right. Was that that's the, the 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 rule number one of when you ribbing or shooting the dozens, whatever. Whenever you can hit a person with something that's kind of true, that's whenever like, ooh, like, yeah. It, ooh, it was thing, a lot of ooh. It's one thing just to say it when you saying something that you did research on, you know. Then that's yeah. it's, it's a lot of oohs in that one. So uh, with that, uh, hey man, want to thank you so much for for hanging out. As always, how can folks get to you on social media? Uh real simple. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, erob fifty e r o b five. Zero old school been having for a long time. Yeah, and, and you will respond back, right? Absolutely. All right. So you, if you have something to say to him, you definitely want to want to tweet him. When we come back, as promised, the conversation uh, with MK Bauer of the Sports Exchange. We will talk Major League Baseball and World Baseball Classic and a few other things with MK Bauer on the other side. Right now, let's get in. I woke up this morning and I said, you know. Waiting for a good day to happen, you know. Waiting around, through ups and downs, you know. I, I just said, look. Promised inviting in for a conversation about baseball, MK Bauer of the Sports Exchange. Good morning, MK. How are you? I'm fantastic. How are you? Good. I, you know, I, you're an expert on many things. I can talk to, to you about a variety of sports, but I've, I've chosen uh, to to talk baseball with you because I know that that is an area that you are what are you most proficient at. Is that your area of expertise? Would you say? <laughs> It's my favorite sport. I don't know if I'm most proficient at it, but it's certainly the sport I grew up loving first, more so than anything else. Who was your guy growing up? Who were who were your guys? I was a huge Dale Murphy fan. I don't I don't know what the attraction was, but he was my favorite player when I was a young kid. And it was weird because being from Houston, I didn't see a lot of Braves games on television. But when I saw him, something about his game captivated me, and I was always a huge fan of his, even through the lean years 
when the Braves are very, very terrible. Well, you know, and I remember you got him on TBS in later years. But, yeah, I, you know, I I liked uh, Bob Horner on that team. I liked uh, Chris Chambliss on that team. And I liked Dale Murphy. I was a Dale Murphy fan as well. But, you know, on TV, I, I never liked the uniforms. I didn't like the stadium they played in. But, again, you're right, Dale Murphy, uh, one of the all-time greats. And uh, in that vein, want to talk a little bit about some some hot stove baseball. I mean, obviously, we, we're in the midst of uh, spring training and the World Baseball Classic. But just to catch some folks up, because again, you know, being in in the te- in in Houston and in Texas and in the South, it's 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 football and and then more football and now it's free agent football and, and bas- basketball a, a distant second. And so a lot of folks hadn't caught up on on the off season goings on. Uh, what team would you say has had the best off season in baseball? It's tough to get around what Boston did by simply adding Chris Sale. Uh, as as good as they were last year. Uh, a really strong core of young players leading that team with, you know, Xander Bogarts and, and Mookie Betts and Jackie Bradley Jr. And, you know, th- they're set to be very good for a long time, even with the loss of David Ortiz. When you bring in a pitcher, uh, the caliber of Chris Sale, uh, it, it makes them very powerful. And, and the, the, the Red Sox dodged the bullet, obviously, this spring with nothing being wrong outside of a little rest issue for David Price and that elbow. But when you add Chris Sale to the mix of, of Price, and Rick Porcello, that's an incredible talented front three. And when you look at where they already are with their offense, uh, with a solid core of, of young players in place, it's difficult to get around how, how foreboding or, or intimidating they could be as a, as a team. You always want to project how good your rotation is going to be in a postseason series, and it's difficult to say any postseason series um, is, is going to be more impacted by a threesome of sale, price, and Porcello than throughout the league. So I think even as, as good as Toronto is, despite the losses of Edmund and Canarcion, as good as the Yankees could be this season with all those young, talented players coming in place, Baltimore has been very consistently decent the last few years. I, I see Boston as being the best team in, a, in that division and possibly the best team in the league, even with what Cleveland did last year, even with the Indians adding Edmund and Canarcion. Now, you you talk about Cleveland coming off of the World Series, what they've been able to do. Uh, how tough will it be for them to to compete with Boston? And then a team you have to mention when you talk about AL baseball, you, you know, the Yankees, uh, they always find a way to be in the mix or at least uh, spend money and position themselves. Talk a little bit about the, those two teams when you talk about Cleveland and their opportunity to, to return to the World Series and, and the Yankees. Well, I think Cleveland has a great shot. And really what, what hindered them last year, despite getting to the World Series, despite being up three games to one, was injuries in their pitching staff. And with that rotation healthy with Kluber and Carrasco and Salazar, Tomlin and, and Bauer, that's a great group to start off with. And to go down the stretch last season without Carrasco and without Salazar, still get to the postseason, still get to the World Series, is indicative of how much depth they had in their staff, to, particularly in their bullpen. And obviously that wrote their bullpen all the way to the World Series. Adding Encarnacion to an offense that was good but not great makes them potentially great. You already have probably the best rotation one through five, not one through three like you have with Boston, but one through five in the American League, they're very viable. And, and I think, you know, there's going to be obviously some conversation about the Astros being in the mix with the additions they made this offseason. But when you look at the top two teams in the American League, it's pretty clearly Boston and Cleveland. And I think anybody would be pretty excited about seeing a seven-game ALCS with those two teams, particularly because the pitching is so outstanding, and then B, because you have some lineups they can offer some versatility in terms of how you approach things. I think everybody else is maybe a half step back. Um, the Astros, maybe the Rangers, who a lot of people thought 
got lucky last year with all their success in one-run games. The Yankees, again, not really a great pitching staff, but a lot of young offensive talent. I think you're looking at a group of teams that just outside those top two, that could potentially be very good. But it's hard to get around how good Boston and Cleveland are going to be next year. What, summer. what about the Royals? I know that in, in recent years they've had uh, a lot of success, uh, faded last year a little bit. Uh, talk a little bit about what, what, the, what the prospects are for the Royals. I think they've taken a step back clearly when you look at them getting rid of Wade Davis, and them kind of tweaking things a little bit in terms of how they're going to approach it uh, with their pitching. Look, Danny Duffy has a lot of talent. And it's been kind of a slow roll for him to get to a point to where you acknowledge that he's really one of the top pitching talents in the league. Can he ace a rotation? Can he serve as an anchor for that group? Particularly now they've lost tragically without a Ventura to a car accident this offseason. Right. I'm curious to see how they change things going forward in terms of their culture because of what they've lost here and there. And then there are a lot of guys, too, who are going to be the last years of their contract. So this may be a significant year for guys like Lorenzo Cain and, and Eric Hosmer and Mike Moustakas in terms of what they do as a group maybe one last time. Look, they perfected the art of winning with your bullpen, right. of, max, of maximizing what you do offensively without needing a lot of power, of patient contact hitting, moving guys over, all those sort of things. They did that for two years in a row, winning a championship the second year. I think they maximized what they could do. And, and it's difficult to see them matching up well with the power teams in the American League, despite what they've done recently because of those losses. I'm talking with M.K. Bauer, the sports exchange. Now, in looking at the, the who's your, your dark horse? Who's the team that can come virtually out of nowhere to, to get into the mix and, and do something? Uh, a team that not, not many people have on their radar. So I think you made the excellent point. It's the Yankees. A lot of people are going to kind of overlook them because there's not a great amount of, of quality pitching depth. You know, you're, you're talking about CeCe Sebastia on very much the back end of his career. Um, Michael Pineda had some good peripheral numbers last year, but didn't have a great amount of success in terms of starting numbers. Matsuro Tanaka has been a guy who's been fantastic for them, but he's been pitching with an injury and overcoming that. You keep wondering when that elbow is going to snap. I think because of where they are with their starting rotation, you, you're a little bit concerned. But there's some talent there. Uh, you know, particularly some young talent when you talk about, you know, Gary Sanchez and Aaron Judge. Uh, there are guys there who can really kind of develop and help carry that team. And there's a pretty decent mix, oh, Greg Burton at two at first base, of younger guys who haven't done a lot but have clear ability with older guys like Brett Gardner and Jacoby Ellsbury who've been around the block and, and can do some things for you. So I think they're the one team of intrigue more so than anybody else in the American League Tour. You have to kind of keep an eye on, because to your point, if they're going well, they have the money to add anybody at the trade deadline. And I think that's going to be enough to get them over the hub in terms of competition. So that's one squad that I'm curious to see how everything mixes through the course of a long season that they can really be a threat um, in the second half and down into the postseason. Now I want to go switch leagues and go to the NL side. Obviously, it's all about the Cubs. The uh, the country fell in love with the Cubs. Although you know, I I didn't have a horse in that race. I, I think part of the fun was watching how they would blow it uh, before them to finally come through. Uh, does that take away some of the mystique because they're not the you know the 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 usual lose everybody's favorite loser? Does that impact uh, the Major League Baseball and the viewing uh, the view? viewership or, or, or the, the relationship that the country seems to have with the Cubs? I think it does to an extent because we all like to see the development of dynasties. You know, it, the one thing that makes sports interesting to, to true sports fans, uh, no matter the sport, 
is watching something grow into something significant. And and the reality is, when you look at that Cubs roster, you know, with Rizzo and Russell and Bryant and Schwarber and you know, Almora, there are a lot of talented young guys there who could be there for a long time. And they were very good two years ago. They won 103 games in the World Series last year. The potential exists for them to be a very good team for a long time, despite the Nationals being good, despite the Dodgers having won, I think, four consecutive NL West titles, and the Cardinals always been the Cardinals and a viable threat. I think what changes is that, to your, you made an excellent point, people kind of expected the Cubs to do something Cubsian and screw it up and fall apart, and they didn't. And then you take a step back and recognize, man, they're going to be good for a long, long time. This could be the beginning of something significant. And I think that's the intrigue. It's not about them winning one World Series and doing so for the first time in 180 years. It's the potential for them to win two or three or be in the mix for four World Series over a five-year stretch because their course are very good. Well, you know, they have you talk about their rival in St. Louis. What what can they do to knock them off of the mountaintop? It's tough to say. I don't think the Cardinals have the amount of talent that the Cubs have from top to bottom. It, it, the Cardinals are always going to play the game the right way. And I think they're, they're starting pitching – Getting, getting Lance Lynn back is going to really help because, you know, clearly they have some depth there, some talent there with Wayne Wright and Carlos Martinez and Mike Leake and, and Michael Walker. They have guys there. Um, but I think when you – overall depth of talent, they can't match up with the Cubs. And a few teams can. That's just the reality of it. Uh, you know, does Dexter follow going from the Cubs to the Cardinals swing any amount of momentum in terms of talent in the outfield? Um, can they get – a, a prime Lance Lynn back coming off of the elbow surgery from a couple of years ago, and can he be an anchor again in the rotation? I think you're you're getting some some loss of, of talent and durability and viability with Adam Wainwright, but he's been a horse for that that organization for a long time. How much does he have left in the tank? I think the pieces are there in terms of what they've always been, and and the Cardinals are always going to be a, a challenger and a contender because they, they're so well built. But I think there's a pretty decent gap between them and the Cubs. How do they make up that gap? Do they just play consistently good baseball all season? Do they avoid injuries that could be catastrophic for them because they don't have the same level of depth? I think those could be the questions facing San Luis this year. want to ask you about the Nationals and, and uh, talk a little bit about the Nets offseason. I know they added some bullpen, uh, a little bit of bullpen help. Uh, talk a little bit about them and what they've been able to do and, and where they stand. Well, I think the, the real thing with them is, is, is Adam going with um, Eaton in the outfield. As, as Look, that, that's a guy who's been an undercover, solid major leaguer for quite a while, um, a talented offensive player, an exceptional defensive player, and, a, and the Nationals sold some, some talent in their, in their pitching depth within a, their organization to get him. Look, they've been a, a good team for a while that hasn't done anything in the playoffs, and unfortunately we all have this kind of mentality of it matters what you do in the postseason, and I think people tend to kind of forget how well-built they've been, how, how well they performed in every regular season for the last few years now because they, they, they haven't done anything when it counts the most. When you're talking about Bryce Harper and Eden and Dan Murphy and the, the emergence of Trey Turner last year playing out of position and center field and being great at it and now moving back to his natural position at shortstop, Anthony Rendon from Rice University, who's obviously a strong midget player, and then that rotation with you know, Scherzer and Strasburg and Tanner Roack. You know, it's a very, very good team. They have to do something in the postseason that validate how they've been built and the construction of that roster. Can they do it this year? Obviously, they absolutely can. And last year, they were hamstrung a little bit by injuries down the stretch, and it hurt them somewhat. But you can't keep hoping that something happens. You kind of have to grab the, the, the bull by the horns and make it happen. And they haven't been able to do that. 
I think they're as good as the Dodgers. And we saw that last year. That was a, a great series that went down to the wire. I think they're as good as the Cardinals. Are they as good as the Cubs? No. Can they beat the Cubs in a, in a five or seven game series? Absolutely. But will it happen this year? It may simply because they recognize to an extent that time may be running out. Well, and I want to ask you again uh, on a, on, on a macro level about the popularity of baseball and some of the inroads in the uh, in the minority community. In a general sense, obviously well, the there was a record-breaking World Series with Cleveland versus Cincinnati. Uh, can they can MLB carry that forward? I know they're, they're looking at ways to tweak the game. I don't know that some of that some of the ideas that I've heard uh, are you know uh, will make a difference. I know that the the intentional walk is is something that they'll do away with with the four pitches but but from a macro sense can baseball sustain this momentum uh coming off of a a, a pretty historic world series i think they're taking a, too much of a pragmatic approach to all this Look, this whole focus on shortening the games doesn't make it that much more appealing i think what you have to do is find a way to, to connect with younger fans to get to grow the game from that point moving forward and you know and I don't know what the simple answer to that is. It's not about the game being three and a half hours. It's about people having access to the game. I think if you had enough kids going to the game, that would change the way the game is viewed from a generational perspective. And, and yeah, kids will be fine watching seven innings of the game and leaving. They're not watching it on television because it comes on too late anyway. I think we saw that last year in the postseason. You're losing the opportunity to reach fans by not having enough games on during the daytime, particularly on the weekends really grab their attention so i think it's about finding a way to connect with the younger generation and maybe that's through player response maybe that's through you know celebrating the younger players in your game and to the point you're making about the cubs and, and the indians maybe that is about promoting francisco lindor or promoting a, a chris bryant more so than the established veterans you've been promoting because maybe the kids relate to those guys a little bit better they see a younger face they see that younger style that that, that swag that confidence that comes with guys in their early to mid-20s, and maybe that's more relatable. And I think if you have that sort of thing as your platform, as your foundation for building the game moving forward, that'll help. Look, baseball has always been a story, a game that's very steep in its history, and I think to an extent that's what killed the interest for over four generation. It's the one sport where you still talk about Ted Williams, and you still talk about Babe Ruth, and you still talk about these guys who, who played the game 20, in 1920, 1930, 1940, as opposed to really kind of celebrating the game now. And I think for a while that really killed the interest in the game because it was so wrapped up in century-old history as opposed to what's going on now. I think they're starting to understand, promote this game, promote the players who you have right now, promote the younger players right now, and that's how you generate some sort of interest in younger people and not trying to hold on to the guys who are 60 years old who love the game their whole life. Well, and I think a couple of other things as it pertains to marketing the game. I think in many ways you need to re-educate uh, the masses, and, and and again, I think you need to to dumb down some of the broadcasts. And and, I, and from a standpoint of you know, there are a lot of people who would jump in and, and they want to you know to to, to partake, uh, but they don't you know they don't, they're not connected with the the intricacies of the game. And I think that a part of it can be re-education. And I do think you celebrate parts of the tradition. And I just think it, there's it's a marketing component more than the changing the the structural components of the game i don't think that that they're trying to tamper with the, the the you know the basics of the game uh will help you obviously you want to speed up some of the some of the al games go way way long uh especially you know that east coast any anything boston new york game seem to go and i don't know if, i don't have the 
the, uh, the the evidence to support this, but it just seems like Boston and New York games go longer than anybody else in baseball. Oh, I, I agree. And I, I think your general premise is right on. It, it's not about the game itself and all those tinkering here and there. Okay, you're going to shave three, four, five minutes off of a game. Big deal. I think ultimately people need to understand what they're watching. And that gets into a whole other debate about, you know, when you said dummy down, that's kind of a it's something that triggers me because I think you can watch the game and appreciate the game and, and the nuance of the game without it having to be dumbed down to you because I don't think the popularity of football recently is about dumbing down. I think it's about people understanding more about what they're watching. Well, about, but you, uh, you've had a fan base that has grown with football. I think that they I look at when we grew up and, and how many – Proportionately, there were so many more people involved in the day-to-day uh, baseball. I, I think while attendance has increased in baseball, I think that the the target audience has grown more, more and more narrow. And so, I, I think where football kind of everybody's grown together and they've learned these terms together. I think that with baseball, you've sort of not on purpose, but by circumstance, uh, have excluded a whole segment of our population that needs to catch back up and understand because i tell people all the time look it's not just a guy throwing and throwing and and a guy swinging you know it's it's strategy on each and every play and i i wish there was a way to convey that to people so they can have more than a passing interest of oh here's a guy he'll throw a ball 30 seconds later he'll throw another one i I think if you understand that okay how's he setting this guy up you know how do you you know how do you educate fans to to get him involved in the, the minutiae of the game that makes it such a fascinating game. You don't insult their intelligence. I think you, you embrace the fact that there is strategy in every play, and I think you do convey that. I think so much of what's going on with baseball is, is and this ties a little bit to the story there, is bashing the ball at the park and that being the only aspect of the game we're celebrating. No. And again, to underline what you're saying, there's strategy in every play in terms of how pitches are sequenced, in terms of how defenses are set up. All that boils into every pitch of every game. And if you willingly share that information, if you outline how important every aspect of the game is and not just home runs, I think you, you pique people's interest. And I think that's where they've gone wrong. They, 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 they boiled it down to something so rudimentary in, in the 90s in terms of it just being about all home runs and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire that you lost a whole generation of people because that wasn't the only aspect of the game that was important. So. Right, and I think that's where, like, it's almost it, it, the, the parallel to that will be, like, the Jordan uh, effect on basketball. In the short term, he was such a phenomenal guy, but he bred so many guys that just played, tried to play the way he played, and you t- you took away from the classic the beauty of the game, the skill yeah. set of the game. Uh, conversely, I think long term w- with basketball, just sort of shifting gears just slightly, with this, everybody just shooting threes, the lost art will be the mid-range jumper. And I think over time that, you know, uh, analytics aside, I think that at some point some team, somebody will figure out, hey, we still need guys that can hit the mid-range jumper. But but again, the parallel with, with baseball is that the short-term phenomenal success of the, the Sosa-McGuire era uh, and, and, and Chicks dig the long ball, it was greatly beneficial then. But what happened was, to me, it seemed like, 
it excluded a lot of your the the athleticism that the, a lot of the African American players brought to the game. When I was younger, it was Vince Coleman and and Ricky um, uh, Ricky Henderson and guys stealing bases and and it was about speed kills. That's why Whitey Herzog says, "Hey, speed kills." He you know you build a whole organization around being able to run and there was different. The ballparks were bigger, so you had to had guys hitting triples more often and it, guys just weren't sitting there trying to hit the long ball. And so I think while baseball enjoyed that success uh, phenomenally in the 90s, I think that it took away from the, the, the athleticism that we're starting to see return. Um, but I think a lot of guys got out of the game, um, you know, for many years because of that. Yeah, so, so again, I think we agree here. I think you have to celebrate every aspect of your game. And if you're going to celebrate Mike Trout, celebrate Mike Trout because he's a great athlete in the outfield and on the base path and not just hitting home runs. And, and if you do that, you get a you, you foster a creative understanding of what your game is about, and I think you pique interest throughout the league or throughout the fan base in terms of all the aspects of your game that make it special. That's the best course of action for baseball. I mean, before a couple things before we let you get out of here too. Uh, World Baseball Classic. Uh, now, talk a little bit about have we seen any trend to say see how. Uh, players who uh, either participated or guys who had a very successful uh, WBC uh, have have they does that forecast success? Can a guy come out and, and gain confidence by playing in this for his country and then go on to to have a, a season that nobody sort of expected? The, the sample size has been way too small, and as much as people want to get excited about the World Baseball Classic, the structure of it is just flawed. It's, it's difficult to to really get professional players ramped up and ready to go in spring training. I mean, that's what spring training is. It's for guys getting themselves ready for the season and not being prepared to play right now. And so even now, watching it last night, you know, there's a, this hullabaloo about where the Americans are in terms of this roster maybe being a little bit better than it was four years ago, and yet they still struggle to score runs against Columbia, which is not a threat in, in any manner whatsoever. So it's still you're still looking at a roster. You're thinking, man, we don't have our best pitchers here. And yeah, the the offense is a little bit better than it has been recently. But it's difficult to compete with with a squad like the Dominicans when they have a lot of great players, and even the Puerto Ricans who were outstanding last night in, in throttling Venezuela. You can't really kind of get yourself hyped up when you recognize that our best players aren't going. And that sounds very familiar. That, that's like you know past discussions about what's going on in, in USA basketball. I don't think there's any perfect way to, to play this tournament, and I don't think we've seen enough past tournaments to give any indication that a star can be born playing for Team USA and then go out for his his, his state top team and do great things. I think by and large, they're trying to get established players already on their squad, so there's not going to be any sort of jump in popularity or 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 ability from one guy shining in that tournament. And B, the tournament is just too quick. You, know, you got pool play, then quarterfinals, semifinals, and final. And that's it. So I don't think the, the nature of baseball is a long, drawn-out sport. You can't have a brief tournament, a two-week, three-week tournament, and expect to really dial out you know, or, or flesh out some, some some superstar in hiding. I just don't think it's possible. Yeah, I mean, would it be help if it moved towards the end of the major league season? And where you get guys who obviously you won't have any of the guys that participate in the postseason, but there's enough of a pool, especially in America, uh, to field a, 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 a world-class team. Well, that gets back to there's no perfect time because at the end of the year, guys have been playing for six months. And they're tired. So that, that, yeah, yeah, then they're going to play anymore. And then B, the, the point you just made, typically the best players on the best teams and the best teams on the post, you know, so you still have access to those guys anyway. Uh, let's take last year, for example, you wouldn't have any Cubs, 
you wouldn't have any Indians, you wouldn't have any Dodgers, you wouldn't have any Nationals. That'd be problematic. I don't know how you fix it, and and really, it's 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 a difficult it's a difficult pro- problem, even for every, for every sport. It's been like that for hockey when they start letting professionals play. It's been an issue for Team USA in basketball when they start having professionals play, and it was just concern. Look at last year, who didn't play last year? It, it there's no easy fix, and and I I want to get hyped about it. I want to get excited about it because I think it, it, the concept is great. But I'm sorry, I can't get really excited when I see guys like Jake McGee and, and Michael Givens and um, Pat Neshek on the American team because those clearly aren't anywhere near the best relievers in the game. Those are guys that they ask to fill in spots because your best guys are still with their teams in spring training getting themselves ready for the 2017 season. So what's the UEFA model? I mean, obviously they suspend the season. I mean, I know the, the World Baseball Classic is nowhere near uh, the world popularity, but what's there? It, what, is there a model there that could be uh, – and I know you have the all-star break and you don't want to do this in the middle of a season, but, I mean, what's the goal here? Anyway, I mean, you're trying to grow the sport internationally – uh, what's the ultimate goal? I, I don't know. I, it's a it's a lot of tough questions in it involved in but, it. Yeah, I think the ultimate goal was to showcase how global the game is, and, and to see that Japan has won it twice without really any known players showcases precisely that that it's a global game, and there are people all over the world who play baseball and play it very proficiently. But there again, there's no perfect way to do it. You, the middle of the season brings its own set of issues, and you obviously can't suspend um, the baseball season because of the tradition. Set forth. So I think they're doing the best they can, and I think there's an opportunity this year for the Americans. But that Dominican roster is very, very stacked, and people have to accept that we haven't won it yet, and there's a pretty good chance we won't win it this year either. And you think the the WBC will survive? You think it'll it'll continue? Oh, absolutely. Because you know what? I think the people around the world are riveted by it. When you look at the crowds that were in Tokyo this past week, or even in Seoul, Korea, people are fired up about it, and I think. When you watch the passion that the Dominican fan base has for it, even the Puerto Ricans, they love the opportunity to showcase how good they are. I think Americans can be very haughty in terms of this being our pastime and us always having the best players ever. I don't know if we have the best players right now. And I think it's pretty clear that the concentration of talent in the Dominican is better than what we have in America. And you're going to see that maybe play out in the next couple of weeks. There are some excellent players on our roster, and those guys are incredibly fired to go play. Puerto Ricans also, maybe more so than Americans going to play for it, because I don't see a whole lot of our best, best pitchers on the staff, on the roster. So I think that's why it will always succeed, because worldwide, there's an opportunity for those countries to kind of rise up and knock off the Americans when it is our pastime with once they've invented the game. And there are, there are episodes of, of other countries showcasing their talent and being a little bit better than us, at least in a very micro point of view. We need we need the Russians to have a really good team. We need a rival. We need Drago on a Russian baseball team. And, you know where he's juiced up, and, and we still have the Rocky montage where we get it done anyway. You know, but it's interesting you say that because the whole rivalry component gets thrown out the window when these guys are teammates with one another. It, it's difficult to sit here and say I can't stand these guys. We have Jose Altuve playing for the Venezuelan right. and Carlos Correa playing for the Puerto Ricans, and their teammates right next to each other and close friends on the Astros. It's difficult to kind of foster that sort of animus because it would be disingenuous. And I think these guys all care for each other when they play for their teams in, in America. 
but they have a, a national pride that, that takes over, but not takes over to the point where it's Rocky versus Drago. Now, and, and before we get out of here, want to uh, want to ask you, I always ha- ask my media guys uh, from around the country, uh, what are your thoughts on the, the current state of uh, of of the industry? Uh, and I know that's sort of a departure from what we've been talking about, but uh, what, what, how do you see things? Because it's such a changing industry. And, and again, I think it's interesting for people inside and outside of the industry to get a peek behind the curtain uh, at the at what's going on uh, with with you know with sports journalism and sports broadcasting. What are your thoughts? Uh, because you've done a little bit of everything, and you've kind of been in the in the, the at the epicenter of a lot of the the changes uh, in uh, sports media. What are your thoughts on uh, social media and electronic media change everything. Uh, when you look at the opportunity for people in this business to, and I hate to say it, to become stars, it really alters uh, the reason why people get into journalism. And it's interesting, um, guys like Adrian Wojnarowski, who's a, incredibly talented at his job, who has become kind of a star NBA reporter, but doesn't embrace the stardom aspect of it. I don't think he's trying to be Steve A. Smith, or he's trying to be Skip Bayless, I think he's just trying to do a damn good job of what he does. But because there's so much money in being a Stephen A. Smith, and there's so much money in being a Clay Travis, it's, it's influenced the way people go about getting into this business and the motives for being in this business. And I think that's the issue at hand. Uh, do you guys want to be great reporters? Do they want to be great writers? Or do they just want to be rich and famous because they get on sports, they get on television, or on podcasts and spit hot takes? And that's the one thing that's changed dramatically over the last three, four, five years. The, the, the avenue for people to get in to this business and become as famous as the people they're talking about. So to, to get on television and scream and shout and call LeBron James weak or call this player a soft or call this player a moron and, and have some sort of fame built upon that rather than doing it in a traditional method of reporting and writing and building relationships. That's where it's all different. And I don't know how you get that horse back in the barn because when media people want to be as famous as the athletes they cover, that undermines the whole process. But you can't tell these people they can't do that when you look at the money that's out there and how, how the, the availability of funds and stardom for people at the very top of this profession. Well, then everybody wants to see that and they want to do that. So I, I don't. There is no. There is no fix for that, and there is no way of of, of recalibrating. Uh, the, the way this this industry has always been developed, and, um, and, and I think baseball suffers the most from that because again, part of the love affair with baseball is the relationship that you have with your team because of of great journalism and and the the behind the scenes stories that that seem to be lost these days. You don't get as much of that. You don't get a chance to know and understand the dynamics day to day. And I think a lot of it is because obviously people don't have the the patience to sit down and read long or uh, columns and articles about teams and and these newspapers and, and other outlets aren't providing that kind of coverage. It's the proliferation of news. You can get news anywhere. So to, to, to underline your point, yeah, you have to search it out a little bit if you want to find out specific information about your team from your reporter. But there's news everywhere. I mean, and, and the access to any sort of bit of information is very, very easy to get to. So I, I think when you have that, it kind of undermines the whole process of focusing in on one reporter or one columnist talking about one team. There are 25 avenues to get that information. And when you have that, it just changes the dynamic of what's being presented to the reader and what's being offered to the followers. 
hey, well, I want to thank you so much for for hanging out uh, with us. And uh, how can folks get in touch with you and see you and read your stuff and and follow you on social media? Yeah, typically I'm available at Moise Capenda on Twitter, M-O-I-S-C-K-A-P-E-N-D-A. If you need to get in touch with me, that's the best place to find me. Well, hey, well, we certainly appreciate you taking up time. And again, I look forward to visiting with you uh, some at, at some point, either on the airwaves of KTSU or, or through uh, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast to uh, around midseason and, and get our update on uh, on baseball. Cool. Take care, man. Hey, man, thank you so much. That is uh, M.K. Bauer. And, of course, he uh, does a great job and is a, uh, a guy who knows a lot about the sport of baseball and, and uh, many other things. So it's always a joy. That will do it for episode 14 of Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Again, want to remind you guys to tell your friends you can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and tune in. Tell a friend, and please give me some feedback. I'm at Wade's Word, W-A-D-E-S-W-O-R-D. And on uh, on Facebook, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade page and group, we uh, post poll questions from time to time. And again, it's a uh, fun way to communicate with me and give us some feedback on what you like, what you don't like, what you want to hear more of. We certainly want to hear from you guys. Want to thank Eddie Robinson. Want to thank MK Bauer. And most importantly, want to thank you guys. This has been the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. And as always, have a great day.